Houston Dynamo, Portland Timbers, Sporting Kansas, Los Angeles Galaxy, Beach Pass, Toronto FC, Salt Lake, Chicago Fire, Columbus Crew, FC Dallas, York Red Bulls, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. We're hitting you fast and furious the last few weeks with Pitch Passes. Make sure you're all caught up at PitchPass.com. Download the latest episodes. We had a great conversation with Clarence Goodson that we just posted. And today, we're going to have a great conversation with ESPN's Taylor Twelman. Before I do that, though, let's plug the Twitter feed real quick at PitchPass to follow us on Twitter and make sure you're telling some friends about the show. Now, let's bring them in. It's our good friend Taylor Twelman joins us right now on Pitch Pass. Taylor, how are you, sir? Thanks for having me, my man. What's going on? Oh, not much, not much. I, well, let's start on a, on a non-soccer note. I saw your your colleague at ESPN, Alexi Lawless, went back, got his degree from Rutgers, doing a little research on Taylor Twelman. He left the University of Maryland. Did you leave it with a degree, Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny. You do know I only went for two semesters, correct? I don't know what you did. You could be the smartest guy I've ever come across. You could have been a genius. Prodigy. What do you mean? What do you mean, could be? (laughs) Are. Let's just say uh, it's pretty obvious that I left the University of Maryland after two semesters. Even though I went there with a bunch of high school degree, you know, credits and all that. Yes. I still got about two years left of uh, school. So that's actually pretty remarkable considering I only went for two semesters. But, uh, yeah, needless to say, Alexi's put a lot of pressure on me. So I won't see any cap and gown pictures of Twelman in the next few years is what you're saying. Oh, uh, you may. You may. Well, you, you got, you're going to have a heavy plate. No classes this summer, obviously. Uh, you guys. Yeah, tr- if I'm taking classes this summer, it's, it's not going to be at University of Maryland. It's no. going to be at uh, how to get out of a group of death. <laughs> well, let's start there. I've got some MLS stuff, but let's start with the national team. And, uh, you know, a question for you, because you were a guy who was who was a part of the, the national team set up, but, but wasn't really ever a regular. So for guys like that, uh, I'm looking at maybe guy 20 through 30 right now on the provisional roster. What can be done to separate yourself and solidify a place uh, in the next couple of weeks? Well, you know. I don't know how many of those places are going to be won. Obviously, there's battles to be had uh, for Jurgen Klinsmann and his staff to assess. Uh, but, you know, I went into 2006 with a different mindset. I had gone in the previous three years with Bruce Arena and the national team, you know, coming off MVP years and coming off some years where expectations were very high, yet you forget you're going in with a bunch of other players that are thinking thing so i went in 2006 with a different mentality i went fun i was going to enjoy each day each training and let the chips fall with them in great spots from um in 2006 was the great year that's why i'm not bitter to this day that bruce arena never called me or, or didn't let me know i wasn't going i i found out on sports center so in saying all of that the only thing you can do is you don't want to have any regrets. You want to live in the moment, and you want to give it your best. So when you go to bed at night, you don't have any regrets. I have absolutely no regrets. It's ironic that in 2006, at the end of that year, I was the national team and didn't go to the World Cup. So 
there's a lot of those thoughts going in players' minds. You're assessing each and every little thing. But in 2006, I stopped doing that. I just, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the players I'm with. I'm going to enjoy the trips, and I'm going to enjoy the games. And if Bruce is great, if he doesn't, so be it. At least make the decision hard for him. That's what players are trying to do right now at Stanford with Jurgen Clemson. Okay, well, but let me ask you this. In 2006, with that mindset, you had to be thinking to yourself, okay, well, if it doesn't happen here, uh, I'm making a good impression for the next cycle, uh, 2010, I, I, I'm there, I'm ready for. What about a guy like Brad Davis, who this is his last cycle for all intents and purposes, can he go in with that, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to perform as, as well as I can and let the chips fall where they may and no regrets? Yeah, of course he can. I mean, what else are you going to do? He can't do He can't. The only thing Brad Davis, uh, Michael Parker, these guys can control are themselves. He can't control what the other 29 players are going to do. He can't control what Jurgen Clemson is going to think. And so why go in it? If you die tomorrow, today is your last game. They're scrimmaging today against LA Galaxy 2. And that's the last game you ever play in. You don't want to have regrets. So I, I may be the wrong person to look at that. I always played the game as if it was going to be my last game. And ironically, that's how my career ended up. At age 28, it was over quickly. So I just feel like you don't want to have any regrets, whether it's life, whether it's playing, and whether you're DeAndre Yedlin or Brad Davis. There's no guarantees that DeAndre Yedlin will be there at the next cycle either. True, true. So is there something, and I keep I don't want to keep harping on Brad Davis, but he, he would be one of those 20 to 30 guys that, that we're referencing here. Is there something that he can do today in this scrimmage versus LA Galaxy 2? I mean, no, I know you can show yourself in friendlies, but is it possible to separate yourself, solidify a place in scrimmages, uh, in practices leading up to these friendlies? Yeah, I, uh, well, it, there's a way to get the opportunity. So whether he's going to get an opportunity against Azerbaijan, we don't know that yet. But if he plays today, which he will for 60 minutes, that's a different story. That's how you get yourself the opportunity against Azerbaijan. And and I think that's ultimately what players need to think about. It goes back to the thing of living in the moment. Today may be your tryout, your chance to go to the World Cup, where everyone else on the outside thinks it's Azerbaijan and Turkey. Well, you're fighting with 29 other guys to get that opportunity to showcase your stuff in that friendly. So, for some of those players that you talk about, 20 through 30, their World Cup kind of begins today against the LA Galaxy 2. And I know how far-fetched and crazy that sounds, but you've got to get your Klinsman to give you a chance in the friendlies. That starts today. How wh- how hard is it, and I know I know you never coach, and obviously you didn't coach at the, the national team level, but how hard is it to balance that uh, implementation of tactics that you want to use in Brazil versus taking one more, two more looks at people in these first two friendlies? Well, that's the criticism of why bring 30 guys when you can bring 23, isn't it? And and ultimately, that's for Jurgen Klinsmann to decide. You've had two and a half, three years to look at some of these players, and there really are no major injuries other than the concern about Omar Gonzalez. So, I think that's why there's a lot of questions on why bring in 30, because tactically you have to be very good against Ghana, Germany, and Portugal. And so I think it's going to be very interesting against Azerbaijan, what lineup he throws out, which players is he looking at, we'll know that through the lineup. And then ultimately after that game, does he make a couple cuts 
try to slim down this roster because this is also preparation for that group of death that we talked about. It's not necessarily about those final looks. So that's a difficult balance. Obviously, I'm not a coach, and and I'll ask you when I see him at Stanford this weekend, why make that decision when you could be working on tactics for the World Cup right now? Let me ask you, you brought up Omar Gonzalez, and going off of, of recent form, uh, would you have him starting right now, even if he was no. 100% healthy? No. Uh, I, I think he, he needs to fight. He's fighting for his starting spot in these three friendlies, if you ask me. Now, if you ask yes. Jurgen, obviously completely different answer. But for Omar Gonzalez, his form, um, obviously with the timing of the injury, and, and the question marks about is if the United States want to come out high press Ghana, well, that means you play a high line in the back four. I'm not sure I want Omar Gonzalez as one of my center backs and playing a high line. And who's your right back? Who's your left back? So the back four is big concerns. Omar Gonzalez is one of those concerns, and I think he's playing for a starting spot in the friendly. You're rooting for the United States, obviously. So as a as a fan of the national team, who do you want to see as your center back pairing uh, when they take the field in Brazil? Um, it's difficult. It's hard to call me a fan right now because it's hard. I can't, I'm rooting for him 100%, but when the red light's on, the microphone's on, it's difficult to be that way. I know 100% that my red and white and blue Speedo that I'm wearing (laughs) during the games is going to come through the call. I know it's going to happen. I'm trying to play it down right now, but I don't know that because I'm not 100% sold. My biggest concern is we're going to a World Cup without a World Cup experience center back for the first time since 1990. You have to say that twice to really get it through. It's amazing that we don't have, you know, when Jurgen Klinsmann names the spine of his team, not a center back is named. I don't know. I honestly want to watch these three friendlies. I think Matt Beasler is your left center back, but I think the wild card is Jeff Cameron. I think he may play a factor, and who knows? He may be your starting center back against Ghana with Matt Beasler. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. When the roster was announced, uh, obviously the, the the big talking point was the omission of Eddie Johnson. Um, when I first saw the roster laid out and I saw Landon Donovan as a forward, my immediate reaction was, okay, well, if you're looking for a spark or someone to stretch defenses late in matches, if you're le- listing Landon Donovan as a forward, then I would think that that is the guy that is taking that quote-unquote Eddie Johnson role. Uh, some people came back to me and were like, well, but what about the aerial threat? Uh, where do you think that 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 matchup is or that decision? Was it Landon Donovan versus Eddie Johnson, and did Eddie Johnson just lose out because Jurgen feels he's more comfortable with Landon Donovan, or is that not even a, a consideration? No, I don't I think Julian Green's inclusion and being listed as a midfielder and Landon being listed as a forward tells you that Landon Donovan's on the bubble. So I don't think Landon Donovan was fighting with Eddie Johnson. I think Julian Green coming into the squad put the onus on Eddie Johnson, Chris Wondolowski, and Terrence Boyd to be in good form uh, at that present time. Eddie Johnson should have been on the 30-man roster, no questions about it. But as a coach, if you know he's not going to go to Brazil – then why bring him? And I think that's ultimately what Jurgen Klinsmann was talking about. But what Eddie Johnson did last year in qualifying, what Eddie Johnson did in Gold Cup, he, he 100% deserved a spot. I'll tell you the first thing that stood out in my mind, yeah, Landon Donovan, yeah, Julian Green, Bobby and Johnson's listening as a defender. There are six potential right backs 
listed in that 30-man roster. Any questions about what Jurgen's concerned about? <laughs> so we uh, read an article. It's on MLSsoccer.com uh, that uh, Landon Donovan is, has come out and said, uh, I am no longer guaranteed a place, nor should I be on the national team. Um where do you put the odds as of him not getting on the, the plane to Brazil right now? It's 50-50. When you look at the decisions, the actions of your and uh, how Landon Donovan's talking, I, I personally believe that they've had a conversation, and Landon's 100% on the bubble. Um, it's a remarkable that we're saying that. I think it's got everyone on the outside confused, but if anyone's confused with Jurgen Klinsmann right now and thinks and is naive enough to think he doesn't have the guts to do this, he just got rid of Martin Vasquez as number one assistant three months before the World Cup. So if he feels the team's better without Landon Donovan on the roster, then I, it wouldn't surprise me if Jurgen doesn't bring Landon. In saying all of that, if Landon's not on the roster, imagine the the crap. Jurgen and U.S. soccer has to deal with on June 2nd. And that's where, listen, you last 20 minutes of a game, fine, Landon doesn't start. But last 20 minutes of a game, you're telling me Landon exactly. isn't a great option to have off the bench? You're out of your mind. He's got more World Cup goals than Rooney, Ronaldo, and Ibrahimovic combined. He's got experience at this level. I, I just, it'd be a tough one for me to figure out that he's not good enough to get a 23-man roster. Well, and then this will be the last thing on the national team. You know, I'm asking you to take us behind the scenes a little bit. Um, is he a good locker room presence? Is, is is that something that comes into play? Because like you said, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want 20 minutes left in the match. It's it's 1-0, 2-1, you're down, looking down and not saying, well, you know what, that would be a good guy to throw on right now. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've played with Lane. I've known him since he was 16. He's never been a bad locker room presence to me. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't know that. Have things changed? Could things change? Of course. That's a better question for someone on the real inside, but from when I've been around the team and stuff, uh, no, I, I don't think there's any – I don't see him being a bad locker room presence. Now, will I say that Landon Donovan's in great shape right now or great form? The answer is no. Yeah. He's not in the best form, but does Landon Donovan have the ability to turn it on in these three friendlies and all of a sudden get hot? Well, just look at the Gold Cup last year, and I know it's a different comparison, but he has that ability to get hot and get hot quick. So, again, his history speaks for itself. Do you want Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, Tim Howard, and Jermaine Jones and Josie Altador to answer questions about Landon Donovan for two weeks leading up to Ghana? No. Let's talk a little MLS. I have three things before I let you go on MLS. Um... First, let's look at Seattle and RSL. You would think, especially in the case of, of Real Salt Lake, whatever points they pick up over the course of the next six weeks are are more or less stolen points. They go out, Seattle does the same thing, grabs three points without their starters who they've lost to World Cup. Um, are they stolen points, or is RSL just this deep, and we are finding out about it now that they're, they've lost their, their big horses? I will tell you, you've been living under a rock if you don't realize that Real Salt Lake's one of the deeper teams, if not the deepest team in MLS. They, this is what they do. And what they do very well is have a group of 20 players, arguably 23 guys. Everyone feels part of that system and part of that program. And what that does, when the Kyle Beckermans leave, the torch is passed on, 
But it's also human nature to say, well, no, we're okay. We're good enough. We can still keep this ship going the right direction even when you're gone. That's great locker room, great presence. They've got a great camaraderie among all the players in that locker room. I, I just think they're deep. I don't think they're throwing points. And keep in mind, yeah, no Ramondo, no Beckerman. I get that. And no no Savarillo. But they've got Plata. When he's healthy, he's very dangerous. Javier Morales. Your blue guys are like Ned Gravelboy, Chris Winger, Tony Beltran. you still got some quality there, even though you're missing some big names. What about Seattle? Same situation? No, it's not. Uh, Seattle's more of a surprise to me because I think they've got some guys that have been around blocking MLS and know what it takes in the late days, June and July, to win games ugly uh, to get through the dog days of summer. So that I get, but I just I don't think they're as deep as RSL. So if they get some points here like they did last week, and then they, yeah, they are stealing some points here. But again, they've made some good moves. You know, Marco Papa gets what it takes to win an MLS, and then Obafemi Martins is scoring basically from out of bounds. So if he's playing the way he is and continuously does, then no Brad Evans, no Clint Dempsey, no DeAndre Yedlin. It may not hurt them as bad as I thought. Yeah, and I think that's why I. I said less so than RSL because when you have Obafemi Martins or a guy like that, you you can you can in a sense steal points with a one moment of brilliance. You saw it happen the first half of last season with Marco Devaio in Montreal, and if you have a guy who's just a straight sniper, uh, you can grab points. And I just didn't see that in RSL. But you're right about Joao uh, Plata and and just the cohesiveness of their team. Well, and Sandoval, Sandoval's there. Robbie Finley's expected to come back this summer, so they have depth at the forward position. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, uh, a team that uh, was hoping to put up a good number and then lose Maurice Adu to, to World Cup was Philadelphia. Uh, they're, not only, they're not stealing points. They're giving points away. Is, is, how long are we going to go with Hackworth if we're, if we're the union? I, I think the race right now with the two coaches that are on the hot seat is between Frank Klobos and John Hackworth because both teams – have just been extremely disappointing. Um, Philadelphia, I thought, made some great personnel moves in the offseason. And after the first opening game against Portland and then the couple games after that, if not for late mistakes, they actually could have had nine points in their first three games. So looking at it, I, I just, Philadelphia, it boggles my mind that they're as bad as they are at home losing 5-3 to New England how naive they are defensively, they just don't look right. You tweeted, um, is is White injured? I'm assuming you mean Ethan White, and I'm, I've am i been asking myself the same question. What, what's happened to this guy? It's either he's really bad, <laughs> or then John Hackworth just looks at it and would rather prefer to play a converted center forward. I don't know mind-boggling to me yeah yeah uh it's definitely a head scratcher i as a dc united fan i was actually a little bit upset about that trade um not saying it's worked out totally for united side but looking at the results it was like oh we're giving up a center back for the future for a 31 year old and we already got a 31 32 year old on the team uh this doesn't look very good but if ethan white's going to get buried in philly then that trade looks a little bit better from the dc united side yeah and that's part of the philadelphia thing that's mind-boggling. The Jack McInerney trade for contract, I don't believe it. I think there was something else there. Uh, Jeff Park, his personal issues off the, 
off the field. You have to move him. So it's been a difficult offseason for Philadelphia. And yet, watching that first game against Portland, you're like, oh, boy, this team could be really good. Yeah. They have late collapses, and I think it took the belief right away from this game. So we've got a young forward from the University of Maryland who is banging goals for New England Revolution. Does that sound familiar to you, Taylor? No, it doesn't. <laughs> so Patrick, you, you forgot. I've got concussion problems. What are you talking about? <laughs> so Patrick Mullins, uh, you, you, I've seen you clamoring about this on Twitter. Um, what is it about Patrick Mullins that has unlocked the rest of the Revolution to then go on this role that they've been on the last few weeks? He plays as a center forward. He sits there and plays. And what I mean by that is, with listen, New England's very good in the midfield, and I still don't think they get enough credit for how good they are in the midfield. But Phil Bunbury playing next to the two center strikers wasn't good enough. He doesn't want to stay there. He wants to go out wide. And so then you just clog up spaces. Where New England's very good is between the line of the midfield and the back four of the opposing team. They're very good in those spots. But it doesn't work unless you've got a guy that wants to play the position of a number nine. It wants to occupy the two center forwards. Patrick Mullins, not the fastest, not the quickest player, but it doesn't matter. And when you are surrounded with guys that are dangerous coming out of deep line positions, then if you use your brain, if you are good between the years on when to make this run, when to hold up the ball, when to keep it simple, and then when to take your chances, you'll get chances. And for Mullins, he's been in the right spot at the right time scoring goals, but it's more so of just his ability to, to be unselfish and say, I'm going to play centrally, occupy the two center backs, and allow the four or five players around me to do what they do best. When Jay Heaps got hired, it was one of those hires where he was it was a part of a of a clump of managers who had just stopped playing and, and, and now we're going into managing. So I don't know if there was enough or even people looking too hard into the Jay Heaps hire, but you look at what he's done with that team and even the move of moving, like you said, Teal Bunbury doesn't like playing a center forward, move him out wide, put him in the midfield. That's been a revolution revelation. And then putting Patrick Mullins in, these are some really astute moves from a young manager. Yes. Uh, always keep in mind, though, when you've been really bad in Major League Soccer, like the Reds were for a couple of years, three, four years, you get allocation money, you get the ability to rebuild your team. So Mike Burns deserves, and the front office True. deserves some of that credit. What I like about Jay Keith, he went out and hired Tommy Stone. And, and what's interesting there is you're talking about a, a coach, obviously DC United fans are very well-versed Tommy Stone, but you're talking about experience. You're talking about gaining experience on the day-to-day stuff, how to read a game. I think that's the move where Jay Heaps deserves a ton of credit because who knows who gets the credit, right, of moving Mullins in. It doesn't matter. It's a collective effort. But if you don't hire the guy next to you that may disagree with you at times but has a wealth of experience of seeing different situations, that's where Jay Heaps has done phenomenal at. And I'll say this. He's out of contract. So Jay Heaps, and coming from a guy who knows what it means to be out of contract <laughs> in New England, um, it's going to be a very interesting move by the Crafts and Mike Burns and them to allow Jay Heaps to go into this year on the last year of his deal. Because I think being young, uh, being accessible the way he is, and proving himself, knows that someone in this league says, why don't you come here and coach for us? 
So I know job one in Brazil for you is to uh, make it all happen, do a great presentation, represent ESPN well, and uh, and, and that's be a- whoa, 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 whoa. That's two. <laughs> job one is to make sure Ian Dark and I don't get eaten by piranhas or an anaconda in Manaus for the Portugal game. That's well, job one. You know, that's funny because I was going to say job three then would be to just start planting seeds for Sir Ian. Hey, you know what? MLS coverage in 2015, that might be something you should be interested in. Bring in the Twelman dark combo to MLS full-time in 2015. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Ian Dark would then have to do a little bit more research than just <laughs> the LA Galaxy and David Beckham. So it, um, it, Ian and I are going to have a blast. We, he, myself, and Steve McManaman will, doing, uh, will be doing the most travel of the entire group. We're, I'm sure there's going to be some really good stories. Uh, before I let you go, I'm going to ask everybody that comes on, at least the analysts, uh, my, the team I, I always that got me into soccer was the Dutch. So uh, I always have a special place in my heart for them. What do you think about Netherlands' chances? They're in an okay group, but the team is a little bit in flux with uh, some older guys and some younger guys. Yeah, they're extremely young. They have a uh, a squad full of it, – it's so Dutch, right? They they have a squad full of Dutch league players, and then the Dutch are so pessimistic about their own league. Yep. It, it, it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma there to me. Uh, listen, it's a lot of young players. I think Chile's a real tough team to play. And, and I think that first game against Spain, yep. how often have you seen the Dutch implode a little bit when things don't go the, that way? I think they have to get a result against Spain because let's say they lose that game 2 nothing, then it puts the onus on the, on the Chile game and then obviously goal differential with Australia and that group. I, it's amazing on how many of these groups the first game is so important. Yeah. It's unusual to say that. U.S. Ghana, England, Italy, Spain, Netherlands. It's going to be interesting for your Dutch. I, I think they may be in for uh, their work's going to be cut out for them. It's a great time of the year. You're going to have uh, we're going to be right smack dab in the middle of it, Taylor Twelman. Enjoy Brazil and enjoy uh, the next few months, my friend. I will. T- fun and then uh, MLS right afterwards. I mean, yeah. it's going to be fun. See you, brother. See show information, go to pitchpass.com.